Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward into post-pandemic life with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available now from your favorite book retailer. Work and our relationship to it is evolving. As workforce demographics shift, what employees expect from their employer is also changing. Two recently released reports from Deloitte, the 2023 Gen Z and Millennial Survey and the second annual Workforce Wellbeing Survey shed light on what leaders need to do to prioritize to meet these evolving expectations. This is the WorkWell podcast series by Deloitte. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things purpose and well-being. I'm here with Quasi Mitchell. He's the Chief Purpose and DEI Officer at Deloitte. In this role, he's responsible for leading the organization-wide strategy that powers Deloitte's commitment to purpose and DEI and drives a broader impact for our clients, people, and the communities in which we operate. Quasi built and oversees the organization's first dedicated purpose and DEI office focused on addressing some of the world's most complex societal issues, including diversity, equity, and inclusion, sustainability and climate change, and technology trust ethics. Quasi, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure being here. So this is actually the first time that we've had you on the WorkWell podcast, which is kind of surprising to me, but can you share your story and then more importantly, how you kind of came into this role of chief purpose and now DEI officer and how you became passionate about it? Well, it's, it's funny, Jen, I actually wanted to start this conversation with, you know, the longtime listener, first time caller type of, you know, <laughs> intro. So I've loved the show for some time now and am very, very happy to be here. It's when I think back on how I've shaped, you know, my personal career choices and and my passions and ultimately, ultimately my purpose, it really is all rooted up in my upbringing. I think anybody who sits back and thinks about the best decisions that they've made in their lives, generally it comes down to a strong grandmother and (laughs) an incredibly powerful and impressive mother, which was the case for me. I grew up one of nine um, in southwestern Michigan uh, in the 80s and early 90s, which was a challenging period from a variety of different standpoints, particularly the drug epidemic that was switching the country and specific communities at that point in time was really where I grew up, you know, lack of safety and security, um, but really loved and cared for by both my grandmother and my mother in addition to others. That being said, what was interesting is that I really focused on education as a pathway for me to have a different life and to truly um, be able to partake in the success that so many others have had with respect to what we kind of envision as the American dream. That being said, you know, as I continue to progress through school, I think, Jen, you know, I've spent, you know, so many years in school, it's almost embarrassing. So I won't count it here. Um, but that being said, I just saw that other people didn't have those opportunities or those pathways in front of them. So my focus has always been, how do you create room 
for others within the spaces and opportunities for access to either family sustaining careers, meaningful work that is really rooted in their purpose that allows them an opportunity to either rise above the upbringing that they've had or truly make an impact on society that is substantially more powerful than they ever envisioned that they could have in the past. And so the chief purpose officer title, and I know now it's chief purpose and DEI officer, but chief purpose officer is such a unique title. Um, We don't see a lot of it. And I'm sure you get a lot of questions about it. So can you tell me a little bit about your role and what you're responsible for and why it's so important for Deloitte as an organization? Well, it's so fascinating, Jen, because what we're seeing is the evolution of corporate America. And if you sit back and you think about the business roundtable, you know, uh, an organization of some of the largest global companies on the planet in 2019, redefining what the purpose of an organization is to focus on stakeholder primacy rather than shareholder primacy. Now, so many of things are starting to come to fruition. And you see my role as chief purpose and DEI officer that has evolved that includes everything for responsibility for our commitments, focus on sustainability, focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, focus on education and workforce development, and also including broader impacts such as thing as trust and are focused on trustworthy and ethical technologies. And lastly, and not least, you know, a heavy, heavy focus on social impact. And so you see, I just rattled off several areas that are substantially different from each other. And historically, they were embedded in different parts of an organization that resulted into distinct aspects of five to six owners and less optimized outcomes. Now you see organizations starting to bring these things together under a singular roof, like um, my areas of responsibilities to really look at where are the intersections, right? Can we talk about things such as climate justice, where we're thinking about both sustainability, but also diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we think about things such as, you know, trustworthy and ethical technologies with the um, increased interest recently on generative AI, how does that translate into distinct pathways and opportunities for people who historically may not have had them within this particular sphere to have them have, you know, sustained or family sustaining careers in the long term? So for me, all of the goodness happens when you bring these disparate areas together under a singular owner in order to have an outsized impact overall. For so long, we thought about business's primary goal as financial success. And but what I'm hearing you say is that more and more organizations are building purpose into their identities and values. And so in your conversations with our leaders and just leaders generally in the market, how are these decisions being made? Yeah, I I think of it, it's, it's not a pivot away from financial success. It's an addition to financial success. And in many respects, if you think about the, the, factors that are influencing decisions that I'm making on a daily basis in my role. Part of it is many of our clients have deep commitments on things such as sustainability or diversity, equity, inclusion, 
And they want to make sure that they're spending time with organizations who are emulating those same values. So it's pretty common for me to hear from some of our clients that are asking questions on, tell us about your focus on supplier diversity. Tell us about your commitment to net zero and so on and so forth, which really leads to this area where we need to be addressing these things because there are expectations that are being placed upon us by our clients. The other piece that we see here is purpose being very much a risk mitigation tool. You know, for us to be hyper-focused on the things that we can influence in the areas that we want to have an impact on more broadly, bringing our skill sets specifically to the things that matter most for us as an organization, right? Like, you know, just looking at our roots, you know, there's clearly things that people will admire from a Deloitte, um, from the standpoint of um, trust and transparency within financial markets. Like people understand that we speak in those areas with authority and making sure that we're aligning our voice to the things that we're most recognized for um, in the marketplace. The last thing, and I think that this is area that we cannot overlook, is the impact on our people. And it's been really fascinating just thinking about um, some of the findings from our Gen Z and millennial report that state, you know, that a third of Gen Z and millennials have reported that they would reject a potential employer based upon their personal ethics and beliefs. Just think about that. Like the war for talent is challenging enough, but that you could lose a further third of it simply because you have people whose beliefs don't, they feel that their beliefs don't match what yours are as an organization or vice versa, which could be really, really challenging. The other thing that came out of that report was that well-being is becoming increasingly important and that many Gen Zers and millennials are struggling. In fact, 50% of them, right, reported that they feel anxious or stressed all or most of the time. I think that that's fascinating. I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, I, but I would also say perhaps not surprising and what we're seeing in the advancing workplace well-being report um, similarly, you know, in terms of the workforce and how their expectations of their employer and even how they're choosing an employer, well-being is front and center along with, you know, personal ethics and beliefs, um, like you stated. And so people are truly making decisions about their employment and their employer and who they will and won't work for based on things that we've never seen them make those decisions on before. And so, you know, I talk with a lot of executives um, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot in the media these days that talk about, well, now the great resignation is over and perhaps the, you know, the power is shifting back to, to the, the, the employer. And, and I don't even like the terminology around power is shifting because I think what the, what, what's being called for now is something that is going to require us all to come together to fix some of these larger systemic issues. Um, but what I would say is that because we're seeing this trend of the workforce making decisions based on their own well-being needs, their own personal ethics and beliefs, their own personal purpose. Those are things that we've never seen people make employment decisions on quite so um, distinctly before. Not that it didn't happen, but it is it is front and center. And so our Advancing Workforce Well-Being Report 
Um, unfortunately, showed that employees reported that their health has worsened or stayed the same since this time last year when we first did the report. Um, but what I think is most striking or continues to be most striking is that three out of four executives believe that their workforce health has improved. And so this continues to highlight the disconnect between you know, senior executive leaders and what the workforce is truly feeling and experiencing. I think there's probably lots of reasons for this. <laughs> um, and, and it's not, you know, the intent is, is not to say one or the other is necessarily bad or ill-intended. I think that there's not the right conversations that are being had and we're not necessarily tackling the root causes of some of these problems and actions that are being taken, of which there are many, um, by leaders in many, many organizations to improve workforce well-being are very well intended. They're just not having the impact that is, is expected of them. There's so many fascinating things in, in what you just said there that, you know, I, I first and foremost, I agree with you. The, the great resignation, I don't feel is over. Yeah. You know, I think that what we're what we're seeing is that 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 massive shifts with respect to employment or changing employers that has ceased. But like, as you were just saying, these considerations being front and center for the decisions that people are making on where they will invest their time, energy and talents with employers is really, really key. Mm -hmm. The other piece that you said that I want to ask another question on is that piece on the disconnect between senior executives and what many um, of their people are feeling with respect to um, their overarching well-being improving or not improving. And my assumption is that senior executives are looking at the investments that they're making in well-being, and then they're surprised that they aren't getting those outcomes. Like, I'm assuming that there's a little bit of that. Could you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, and that that is so important. And I really want to highlight that I definitely believe that there's so many senior executives that are making very significant investments in the well-being of their workforce because they truly care. And so it's frustrating to them that then they're we're still seeing stats. Um, that, you know, that, that, the, that the workforce isn't doing well, that, you know, 80% of the respondents are still facing obstacles related to work. Um, and, but if you dig into the data, you know, what's being invested in our programs, tools, and resources, which, by the way, are 100% needed, 100% key, 100% foundational. But what, what is really driving negative um, outcomes when it comes to well-being and well-being from work or at work is are things like heavy workload, a stressful job, long long work hours um, is are, are the things that are kind of topping the list. And so what we're hearing and seeing is that um, you know people are struggling. Seventy four percent of people are struggling to take time off or disconnect from work. And so if you compound all of those on top of each other. Most people are saying, I think it's incredible. I think it's wonderful that my organization is investing in these programs, tools, and resources, but <laughs> the heavy workload, the stress, the long hours, the inability to disconnect is 
is keeping them. It's a barrier. All of those things are kind of barriers in the way of taking advantage or maximizing these investments. And so when I talk to leaders and executives, it's, okay, let's, you know, let's pause on focusing on the investments right now. And we need to take a step back and look at these root causes, you know, these kind of work determinants of well-being and think about how we are actually designing and doing work. And I want to also be very clear that these root causes, I mean, we've been working literally in this many of the same ways for the last 100 years, other mm -hmm. than the fact that we layered technology on top of that. And you could make as many arguments for why technology makes us better as, as you can for why technology makes us worse. And so this is not about blaming technology. This is about taking a step back and saying, why are workloads so heavy? What is so stressful about work? Why are the, the hours you know, so long? Why can't people take time off of work? And what can we do about it? And then layer on the investments that you're making in tools and resources and programs, because that's what's actually going to maximize those investments for the organization's and for their workforce so that the leaders aren't feeling frustrated and the workforce isn't feeling frustrated. And so, I, like I said, I think there's a lot of good intention going on here, but we need to take it that step further to actually look at, okay, what are these things that are causing bad outcomes due to work itself? Which, Casey, I will tell you, you know, when we started to look at this as an organization, Deloitte, you know, eight, nine years ago, we were on the forefront of workplace mm -hmm. well-being. But we didn't even consider work <laughs> when it came to our well-being. You know, we talked about things like, you know, nutrition and exercise and sleep. And those were the resources and education that we provided to our workforce. And we still provide all of those because they're still really important. I think what the pandemic did for so many of us is made us realize, oh, wait, the ways that we're working or, or gave us the permission perhaps to talk about it differently and the, the ways that the way that we're working and how we're working and, you know, kind of level set everything to say, oh, wait, no, work is a huge determinant of our well-being and we need to start looking at it in that way and thinking about it very differently. And so I do think the pandemic gave us the permission um, but also the data perhaps to look at it and to start to have a different conversation. Yeah. And I like the way that you put that, right? Because there's there's two things that I pulled from your comments there. One, it's just nice to know that the executives that you're talking to and dealing with actually are well-intentioned and yeah. are trying to do the right thing to improve the well-being of their people, right? I, I, I think it's important for people to remember that because sometimes that gets a little bit lost. Yeah. The other piece that I think is really interesting, as you said, there's that redesign of work that then puts us in a position to take advantage of specific investments. And after that redesign is considered, those thoughts are taking place, what are some of the investments that you think would be most meaningful to move the needle? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. I certainly, there's so much data in our, our report, but in other reports that exist about the role of the manager. There's one uh, report I'm thinking about in general, which is not a Deloitte specific report, but that came out recently that talked about how our direct managers have as big of an impact on our mental health and well-being as our spouses and partners. <laughs> that that's a pretty that's that's a pretty uh, hefty impact if you if you think about that, right? And so, 
you know, and I think with managers and what we saw in our own report is that employees do feel like their manager should have some responsibility for their well-being. And 96% of the managers actually agree with that, but only 42% say they feel empowered and capable of helping, you know, those that work with them and for them and for their organizations. And so they're kind of citing similar issues around company policy, scheduling issues, heavy workload. And so I think we need to do something to support and train our managers differently. I personally believe that well-being is a leadership skill set and needs to be a leadership skill set. It is something that can be taught and learned. But in an unsupportive workplace environment or workplace culture, it's really hard for managers, again, well-intended managers to do the right things. And so I think we need to create the right training and the right space and the right reward system to make sure that these things are taking place and that these behaviors are behaviors that are actually um, acknowledged and celebrated within an organization. I think the other thing, and this tends to be a hot button discussion, depending on who you are, is there needs to be a more accountability and transparency and public commitments made around workforce well-being. I, you could probably speak to this a lot, Kwesi, um, just in the path that um, both ESG and DEI have taken in terms of public transparency and public commitments. But I do think that this is an area that we will see continue to grow from a well-being perspective, just because if nothing else, um, the, the strong connection to both ESG and DEI and the path that both of those are taking. But in our survey, you know, I mean, the C-suite on down agrees that this is something that should be measured and monitored. I think the challenge with it is, is that there aren't standardized metrics that actually exist um, across organizations or industries. And so I think that work needs to be done first. But I think that that there is strong agreement, at least in the leaders and the workforce, uh, the people in the workforce that we surveyed um, that felt like public reporting, you know, 83% felt that public reporting could build trust. You know, I know that trust is something that's important to you in the purpose space. Um, and also that, that sharing information like this would help them attract talent. And so that's something else that you and I have been talking about. And then finally, I know this is a really long answer. <laughs> you know, I think that I, I said it before, you know, we didn't get to where we are overnight, right? I mean, we've been working in many of the same ways for a really long time. And so we're also not going to solve it overnight. And I think that we live in a world and in a society where we're obsessed with the quick fixes. And this is not a quick fix. And this is going to require a significant mindset shift on the part of all of us, whether we're leaders or we're part of the workforce. Um, and this is something that at Deloitte we're looking at in terms of prioritizing what we call human sustainability, which is this long-term collective view of well-being that impacts individuals, organizations, climate, and society. And so much the same way you were talking about purpose, how do we look at all of the, the spectrum across and how all of these things are interconnected um, and how we can take actions in one that will help others, but recognizing that it is all connected and that this is, you know, this is a, a, a long term view that's going to help us move away from, you know, making those one off investments that then seemingly don't seem to have an impact and really stepping back and saying, OK, how do we fix the root causes here so that the things that we do invest in when we invest in 
maximize the impact for the individual, for the organization, for climate, and then also broader society. I think organizations need to step outside their own four walls, recognizing that our workforce is, you know, a a microcosm of the societies that we live in. And so what we do for our workforce, we should also be participating in for for broader society and for those that might not have access to it within, you know, their own communities or their own workplaces. In fact, I would say aspects of what you just said there is critical for there to be a workforce for these organizations in the future, right? A hundred percent. We're not engaged on well-being if we're not engaged on sustainability, if we're not engaged on creating diverse and inclusive workforces. I, I shudder to think what the workforce is going to look like in the future overall. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point and, and very well said. Let's get to how can leaders help employees feel more connected to purpose and increase a sense of belonging? I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, um, but you know, in particular related to purpose, um, sometimes for people it's hard to kind of feel that sense of personal purpose or where does my purpose intersect with my organizational purpose? And Jen, you made some great comments earlier on how it's necessary to kind of train and help managers and leaders talk about things such as well-being and and, and act on it on a daily basis. I feel like talking about purpose and acting on it on a daily basis is critical as well, that we need to train people on further. I think it's critical to set a vision for your people so that they understand how their actions in and of themselves are going to translate to a broader vision and ultimately support them in doing so. And so when we think about purpose, I frequently try to strip people down from to like, what do you do on a daily basis? And then helping them understand that what they do on a daily basis isn't working on an IT, like they're not the lead of a testing team on an IT implementation. Like that's what you do, but that's right. not your purpose, right? And then helping them understand, well, you know what? That IT implementation that you're moving forward with is for a large financial institution. And that large financial institution empowers, you know, parents to buy school supplies for their children, for a grandmother to purchase that vacation that she's always wanted to take their grandchild on, for small businesses to be able to conduct the transactions so that they can grow, become more diverse and become a fuel and uh, are part of an engine for our, our broader economy as well. And so leaders need to take a step back, look at what our people are doing, help them articulate what they do on a daily basis, how it ties to an organizational purpose, how it ties to a mission beyond them, because it's always there. We just don't do a great job frequently of talking about it. And one of the things that I, I really am excited about, because I do think it ties to different aspects of what you were just talking about on human sustainability. I think human sustainability and purpose are so heavily intertwined. And I wanted to have you speak a little bit more about human sustainability. And like, it's one key element to advancing well-being, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I want to reflect what you just said on purpose as well, because I think one of the things that we have learned in particular in the well-being space also is that humans, all of us, tend to focus on well-being as a 
kind of thing that we do or an activity <laughs> that we do that then leads to, you know, better well-being, whether that be physically or mentally or spiritually, you know, in whatever dimension um, matters to you, to, you know, this evolution over time of, you know, well-being isn't necessarily a thing or an activity. You do what you do, your activities could enhance or detract from your well-being, but that well-being is actually an outcome mm-hmm. of, of the decisions and the choices that we make for ourselves and more broadly. And in, in many ways, I think about purpose that way too, right? It's not specifically about that thing that you're doing day in, day out, right? But it, but it is kind of the, the, the outcome of the many things that you're doing and how connected you feel um, as a result of it to, you know, to purpose. And so in, in many ways, I kind of see those sitting side by side. I also think that well-being fuels purpose and purpose fuels well-being, which um, is this, you know, nice. <laughs> so you can connect into your purpose and your well-being. You're, you're, you're at least halfway there, right? right, but, right. but when it comes to human sustainability, I mean, it, it, is, it, it is also an evolving area, right? And I would say in many ways has been born out of, the S in ESG, but goes beyond that. And and this desire, when you think about what we look at in the S in ESG right now, when it comes to workplaces and their commitment to workforce health and well-being, um, it largely looks at measures um, related to health and safety, which are critically important. And then as we talked about before, Quasi, it looks at investments that organizations are making, but it doesn't look at outcomes. And so human sustainability really starts to go, you know, further into looking at those outcomes and looking at all of these things as, you know, a longer term view with this understanding that literally, I mean, I I mean, it's kind of funny because when people ask me, well, what is human sustainability? I'm like, well, it could be everything, right? (laughs) Because because all of these kind of big societal and workplace issues that we are trying to tackle, the one thing in common that it still has is the human, right? Like the humans are the ones that are making the decisions about organizational policies. The humans are the ones that are making decisions about the way that we work. The humans are the ones that are making decisions about what investments that we're making and things that we're doing, right? And so, the, the goal here is, you know, okay, the humans much, we're probably being led to believe that AI is taking over everything, but it's not. <laughs> humans are still going to be around and we're still going to have a very significant role to play. But if we're not thinking about how all of these decisions that we're making are enhancing the lives of the humans, then we're going to have a really hard time not only reaching our goals and aspirations, but sustaining them and enhancing them for the long term, right? And so I think for a lot of people, they're probably listening to this and saying, yeah, Jen, that sounds great. It also sounds really esoteric. How do we get there? Um, and, I, and, and I'll be honest, I don't know if we know the answer to that yet, but we do know that the com- core components of human sustainability are you know, human well-being, connection to purpose, our connection to the planet um, and, and our environment and the climate and the impact that, that that's having, um, in particular for our young people around eco and climate anxiety um, being you know one of the number one reasons that young people are anxious these days. 
Um, and so all of these things are connected to each other. And so human sustainability really aims to draw out those connections and have us tackle these things together as opposed to separate issues because they really aren't separate. All makes perfect sense. <laughs> and it, it's, it's fascinating to me because human sustainability, as you just said, is evolving in the same way the way that we talk about purpose and aspects of ESG, right? All of the answers are not known right now, um, but through strong research, collaboration, and thoughtfulness and testing what we thought we know historically, I think it could put us in a great place in the future. Yep, I, I agree. So more to come on that. Um, but I do want to pick up on one thing that I just said about um, sustainability and in particular climate change. I know that in the Gen Z and millennial study, um, there was some really interesting and profound insights on how these groups are feeling about climate change and sustainability. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Of course. I think, as you said, it's interesting, profound, and and, and aspects of it a little bit sad when you look yeah. at the data, right? In, for example, 55% of Gen Z and 60% of millennials in the report um, feel anxious or worried about climate change in the last month. Just think about that. 55% of Gen Z and 60% of millennials feel, are feeling anxious or worried about climate change in the last month. That, that That's impressive. And then on top of that, you know, 49% of Gen Z and 58% of millennials in the U.S. say that they put pressure on their employers to take action on climate, which is phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think, and especially positive discussions from that standpoint um, and making sure that their voices are being are feeling heard. However, 57% of Gen Z and 59% of millennials in the U.S. believe that their company has deprioritized mm -hmm. their climate strategy in the last few years due to external factors like the pandemic and inflation. And also, I'm assuming, Jen, that many of them are assuming different aspects of the concept of ESG, uh, yeah. and like the polit politicized nature of it, maybe driving potential actions as well. What are some of the ways that employers can focus or refocus their efforts on making sustainability a priority? And maybe what are some examples of, of what Deloitte is doing? Uh, I am really fascinated by this question because, and especially that stat with the belief that people are deprioritizing their efforts related to their climate strategy, because I don't believe that that's necessarily true. Mm -hmm. And so... For me, and also being a one of a leader on the receiving end of pressure that our people have placed on us being committed and a leader with respect to sustainability and broader climate change, first and foremost, I do think that organizations need to continue to tell their story to their people, right? Um, they need to continue to share the path that they're on, the great things that they're doing, and also knowing that, you know, if we aren't complete you know, repeatedly sharing that, it could lead to some potential misconceptions. And so for us, like we have been very, very focused within Deloitte on embedding sustainable practices throughout the organization to reduce our carbon footprint and find more equitable ways to advance um, climate solutions. And so knowing that the disruptions of climate change will have a profound and deep and lasting impact on us all, we just feel like that aspect of equity is really critical here as well. Now, the 
interesting thing that I see in, in other surveys is that business leaders do understand that climate's a top priority. And in our, in fact, many of them, as especially per our 2023 CXO survey, many of the CXOs related climate change or rated climate change as a top three issue. So as much as that, and I want to tie that back to that point again, you know, you have, you know, Gen Z and millennials think that their employers are pulling back while you still have CXOs saying that this is an area of high priority for them. So there, there are some misconceptions and gaps here that we need to close. I frequently share and highlight to our people the way that we are moving forward with, as we call it, our world climate ambition on how we have global commitments um, focused on business travel, another silver lining from the pandemic, um, re-envisioning the way that we work. Jen, as you know, I grew up in our consulting practice here within Deloitte, which was a has been a travel intensive practice for years and years. Um, being more thoughtful about mm-hmm. using environmentally friendly materials within our workplaces, you know, being more thoughtful with respect to sustainable practices in our technology processes such as laptop selection and recycling. Jen, this is one of the best kept secrets in our firm is how thoughtful our leaders in technology are with respect mm-hmm. to the things that they're doing on items such as laptop selection, recycling, and so on and so forth. Um, that group is really uh, some of my heroes with respect to just embedding sustainability in everything that they do on a daily basis. And outside of our direct operations, there's numerous other things that we're doing, you know, just to move forward and and provide tangible climate action for our people and within their communities. You know, as we call them in across 32 of our offices, we have what we call green teams, which are practitioner led um, efforts that are focused, you know, on educating others, volunteering and greening our offices overall. So truly phenomenal work. We continue to expand our well-being subsidy. Mm-hmm. And also we have invested in partnerships um, that are focused on sustainable solutions in distinct cities around the U.S. Um, everything from our recently launched collaboration, Yes, SF in San Francisco, to some of the items that we've been doing historically with respect to an organization called CivLab. And so that being said, we, we are taking some of these tangible climate solutions and embedding them into local communities on a daily basis and are looking to continue to scale and do so in the future. Yeah, that's awesome. And I would say one of the one of my greatest joys is um, seeing how our people bring so much of this passion to life with them um, to work. We, we here at Deloitte have uh, purpose office champions. We have our inclusion councils. We have our green teams, and we have our well-being wizards. And somehow, without us directing them to do so, they seem to all find each other and um, come up with ma- amazing activities and solutions to uh, some of these problems. And so, I would I would give a nod to um, for leaders to leverage the power and the passion of your own people when it comes to to these topics um, and engage them in it because that really allows them to feel a sense of ownership um, and a sense of pride and also a sense of control, um, which I think is really, really important when it comes to some of these 
bigger issues that impact people both physically and mentally and emotionally. So Kwesi, with that, uh, I don't know if you have any final words, but this was a great conversation. I learned a lot. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, and thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. Thank you, Jen. I'm so grateful Kwesi could be with us today to talk about what employees want from their employers. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. The information, opinions, and recommendations expressed by guests on this Deloitte podcast series are for general information and should not be considered as specific advice or services.